Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. During a Facebook conference in October 2021, company founder Mark Zuckerberg laid out his vision for the next phase of the internet. We've gone from desktop to web to phones from text to photos to video, but this isn't the end of the line. The next platform and medium will be even more immersive, an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. And in doing so, introduced many to the metaverse. And we call this the metaverse. The metaverse. The metaverse. It's called the metaverse. The metaverse. The metaverse. The metaverse. What actually is the metaverse? This idea may seem new, but it's been around for decades. The term metaverse dates back to Neil Stevenson's 1992 cyberpunk classic, Snow Crash. More recently, the 2011 sci-fi novel, Ready Player One, featured a virtual world called The Oasis. And when it comes to real-life tech companies, Facebook, or Meta as it's been renamed, is just the latest to pursue a virtual reality version of the internet. Virtual worlds, when they're done right, with the right kind of connectivity and this uh, dependence on building together are tremendously positive in their impact on people. That's Philip Rosedale. He's one of the creators of Second Life, a virtual world whose parent company was founded 23 years ago, long before Facebook was a glimmer in the eye of a certain Harvard student. As a pioneer, Rosedale believes a metaverse could create a world of good, but only if it's designed responsibly from the start. We have to be face-to-face -face with real people, not with robots that are trying to sell us things. And the rules of engagement in the world have to encourage our better nature. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. During our Future of Everything Festival, Rosedale spoke with reporter Christopher Mims about what he thinks the metaverse should look like to make it a place where people want to work and play. That's after the break. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Here's the Wall Street Journal's Christopher Mims speaking with Second Life founder Philip Rosedale. We've edited their conversation for time and clarity. All right, Philip, auspicious time to have you since uh, the metaverse is now the business of the world's largest social media company. But obviously you got there first. I wanted to kind of jump right into something that you and I had talked about previously that I think is very uh, relevant and important. As I gather, your view is that the metaverse is not a place that we want uh, a company 
that has an advertising-based business to be in charge of. So let's start there, because that's clearly what we're headed for right now. Right, so Second Life uh, is not based on advertising. Um, so there's definitely an alternative. And you've never been based on advertising. We never have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to a certain extent, it was because I started the company before advertising as a business really became viable. Like, I, I started the company in 99, and really, the, the growth of the ad business didn't really happen until a few years later. So it's almost like, fortunately, we didn't even have it as an opportunity. So you weren't going to put banner ads into your 3D... <sighs> World. Yeah, gosh, I'm sure we talked about banner ads being a thing. We also didn't want to get in the way of people. We figured they'd do advertising of their own, which certainly people do. So I should say there are uh, things like advertisements for clothes and stuff that you will see in stores inside Second Life, but the business of monetizing Second Life is not modifying people's behavior and capturing their attention. And that's the thing that I think is uh, dreadfully dangerous if moved from the you know, 2D online world to the 3D metaverse world. I mean, we live in a world where uh, obviously that kind of uh, data gathering and advertising is, is widespread and people are spending, what, yeah. more than 45 minutes a day on average in TikTok if they're a user. What's more dangerous about doing that in a 3D world? Well, TikTok is probably an interesting one to, to look at separately, but the big problem with the 3D world is two things. The first problem is, is that you don't know where the ads are. Even in the real world in you know, Times Square or something, the advertisements are in square boxes. Even on websites, they're that. You, know, you can run an ad blocker and you can kind of turn them off. Um, if you're in Times Square, you can just not look at the bright lights and you can talk to your friend. In a 3D world where we are embodied as avatars, the person across the street having a coffee and like smiling at you might be an advertisement of some kind, right? <laughs> like a product placement. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at what AI has been doing to us with accelerating the effectiveness of those ads and messages, um, imagine when that is sentiment and people walking around in a crowd trying to get you to kind of come over to their you know, point of view. So that's super dangerous. You don't know where the ads are, and the AIs are much smarter than us, so even if we got good at picking them and out, And when you say the AI, you mean the win. AI that's driving the algorithm that, like Facebook's lookalike audience, that knows I've, I yeah. have a friend who bought this couch from West Elm, so probably I should see the same couch, that kind of thing. Right, the AI sort of saying, target this person with this head. I'm also thinking ahead, as I do with, with virtual worlds, to imagine when the AI is actually a whole actor with a mission, you know, go sell that guy a watch. Right. Um, there are going to be AIs that are going to be very, very good at selling you a watch. Now, that brings me to the second part, though, of the danger, which is if you're wearing a VR headset or even sitting in front of a camera and you have a microphone on, the information that, say, Facebook can have about you is horrifically beyond even the overly dangerous information that they have about you today. So from your body movement to a machine learning algorithm, the fact that you're depressed is instantly obvious. Right, which, and that's not hypothetical. That was in the Facebook files. They did a study where they found out, like, hey, people who are depressed are more susceptible to advertising. What do we do with that? So you're saying that that kind of information is even more accessible when you have cameras on your face that are tracking your eyes and all that. Yeah, even more subtle things. Like we just talked about TikTok. You know, the AI in TikTok is based on what I think is probably going to be a bad outcome eventually, which is how long you look at the video and hold the screen with your thumb before you move on. Just by looking at that, the AIs are able to glean a tremendous amount of information, right? So now imagine that I can see where your eyes looked, you know, I'm talking to you and I look over there yeah. and the machines can see that I did that and can say, oh, the color red over there drew his attention. Okay, 
You know, what else do we know? So the, the, the feedback loop that we're going to get into there, let me just say, as the metaverse guy, we don't want to take that business into the metaverse. So the metaverse has another challenge, which is that, you know, as anybody who's spent time, even with a good VR headset, will tell you, I mean, unless you're a real devotee, you don't want to spend that much time there. Right. So why is that? Why, what is a possible... Uh, you know, fly in the ointment of Mark Zuckerberg's vision of uh, we're going to spend eight hours a day collaborating in Horizon Worlds. The simplest way, I think, to explain it or to suggest a, an, an answer there is that we really only kind of live in one world, mostly, as human beings. Our brains are tuned to do that really well. And so we're sort of forced into a binary decision. You either have your life in Second Life or in Horizons, you know, to name a Facebook product, or you have your life here in New York. And so what we've seen over the years is that surprisingly, it's more of a binary choice than say I thought when I was younger and started Second Life. And as a result of that, it's competing in a binary competition with New York. So basically Second Life is competing with New York. And as anybody out there who's from New York is gonna instantly get, right, it's gonna lose. So if you are uh, able to live in New York and walk around the streets of New York when you wanna socialize with your friends, you're gonna do that. And weirdly, and this is what you know, Facebook's gonna find out, kind of giving you a fractional ability to do that other avatar thing and hang out with friends, it actually, you don't choose that. Um, and so Second Life is this amazing large community, but it's populated by people who live there for a variety of different reasons, but they all end up being cases where they've chosen to live mostly to have their primary identity, if you will, be in the virtual world. And that is very different than what we're seeing advertisements from Facebook on, where, yeah, it's all going to be fun and games, we're going to spend a little time in there. No, we're not. We reached out to Meta for comment. A spokesperson pointed us to a past statement that said the company is working, quote, with experts in government, industry, and academia to think through issues and opportunities in the metaverse. TikTok did not respond to requests for comment on Rosedale's thoughts about its data collection practices, but has previously said the company is, quote, committed to protecting the privacy and safety of the TikTok community. Coming up, will your daily commute be replaced by a VR headset as work shifts to the metaverse? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash WSJ. Now, very quickly, uh, it seems like we're going to move toward a world of so-called augmented reality or mixed reality. I mean, they're a ton of different technology platforms where people are trying to do that, like headsets with like a pass-through camera that shows you the world and then the VR world gets laid over it. Is that more of a contender than true VR or does it have its own challenges? How do you feel about it? I think that AR is something we will all use where by comparison I would say that living your life in a virtual world is something that some of us will choose. That number will grow over time, by the way, as we make it better, but it'll still be a fraction. 
AR, I think everybody will use, but as a science and technology person, I think AR is a lot farther out. The pair of glasses that will be comfortable to overlay things on this audience are not out yet, and it isn't good enough for you to wear uh, for the rest of the day. You know, I'd like to return to what you were saying about kind of our race with AI, because frankly, I feel like um, we had a moment like pre-pandemic where everyone was talking about that. And then for obvious reasons, all other concerns got washed away. But we all spent so much time on the Internet and, and with our screens and with our devices. I feel like we still don't appreciate in the way that some have said and which you've articulated how much we can be manipulated by the ways in which we are paying attention to media and content, you know, on our screens in a way that's new, that's really different than anything we've had in the past with uh, any kind of broadcast medium. Like, what are the concerns that you have that motivate you to say, this is a problem and it could be even worse if we're doing it in VR or someday in AR? You know, and I think COVID has almost been the, 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 the setup to, to be able to ask this question. I think the right question to ask that sort of summarizes these concerns about, say, the escalating power of AI is, are we in our day-to-day -day lives as a trend spending more time connecting and communicating with actual human beings, whether, whether it's online or face-to-face, -face, or less? Is the technology taking us apart? And I think the greatest danger of AI is, wouldn't it be nice to just live in a world where it's all fake people and they just like you and they just do whatever you want? And the, 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 the opiate, the, the seduction for us to be drawn into those worlds is going to be strong. And we're going to have to resist it because if we move away from each other, I don't think we make it. You know, we, we can't do that. Right, right. We are, we, we are anachronisms kind of um, dropped into this modern world where the AI keeps getting better totally. and we're staying at the same level of intelligence. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, so you said that this world of uh, people's participation in virtual worlds is going to expand. I mean, I can see that. Like, I, like I've, I've had connections within virtual worlds which are quick and casual, and I'm like, okay, well, that was kind of fun. That was like a structured Zoom hangout. It was less awkward, and maybe there was some natural conversation. What forms do you think it will take if it's not going to be us spending you know, the, the whole day in VR collaborating or doing work? Or If that's not going to happen, what are the applications that will be meaningful? I mean, I think there are a bunch of specific applications like building together. I mean, the whole thing that made Second Life successful and continues to make it unique is that it is a live building together experience, which is really interesting. Like, all of your success there is due to your ability to essentially manipulate the world and others, I mean, manipulate in a positive way, around you to change it, you know? And, and that's very different than the consumer experience of, of, of say, go into this virtual reality roller coaster ride and we'll just please you for 10 minutes, you know? So that, that building together thing is there. So I do think that VR devices and AR devices will be useful to like build things together in the near term. They will have like a, I guess you'd say like an industrial impact on us more so yet than a social impact. The social impact comes from gradually getting that experience closer to what we're doing here, right? Right. And, and that, I, you know, I could talk about that, oh my gosh, you know, for hours because it's been my whole career, you know, working on it. That is a very hard problem, and there's still a long way to go down the road to you and I being able to do this and say, hey, you know, geez, we both had COVID, and so we couldn't come here and be on stage and be like, yeah, but it was fine. You know, we felt like we were here. 
I mean, I mean, do you think that uh, we're maybe selling it short because it's a generational thing? I mean, people talk, they point to Fortnite and Roblox and they say, hey, a whole generation of kids is being raised in these environments. They're super familiar to them. Aren't they just going to continue to, like, isn't there just going to be yeah. like Roblox for work in 10 years? You know, what, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll what, be Slack of its what era. I, what I always say to people is, like, I have four kids, and I, I just always say to people when they talk about, like, there's this, yeah, there's this theory right now that goes something like, hey, uh, older people don't like being in VR, but the kids, yeah. they dig it, and so they're growing up very quickly, and so the industry's going to shift over to them. That would all sound good as an investor, but if you have kids, you know the truth, which is that, at, at least to a significant degree, the kids, the young kids don't actually like being avatars either. And for my kids, at least, they almost exhibit the opposite behavior, where they're less likely to be willing to be present without, say, audio or video. Right. And I think there's a, there's a struggle for authenticity amidst all the noise that is actually making the youngest generation, at least, where my kids are, um, kind of defiantly averse to virtual representation. So for example, kids don't use Snapchat lenses when they're talking to each other. Mm -hmm. This would be like a mistake that we might make if we don't use them. Mm -hmm. They make them as a joke for making videos and posting them on TikTok. That's asynchronous. <laughs> That's not the same thing as being an avatar. Yeah, it's ironic. And hanging with your it. friends as an avatar. So Philip, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. Thanks. That's Second Life founder Philip Rosedale in conversation with The Wall Street Journal's Christopher Mims at the Future of Everything Festival. We've got a question for you. What would you want to see in a future metaverse? Let us know on Twitter. We're at WSJ Podcasts. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Danny Lewis. Our team also includes producer Caitlin Nicholas. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer, and our fact checker is Maddie Bender. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer, and Kateri Yoakum is the Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.